This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the number one daily fantasy sports app. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 598. Welcome in. I still, I mean, I feel like I've been saying that every episode recently, but we're close to 600 and 598 episodes is quite a bit. I'm like, man, that's a lot of dang episodes. Uh, On today's show, we're going to talk about Monday Night Football, the Packers and the Raiders. Both quarterbacks from that game were noteworthy and interesting, I think for different reasons. I went back, I watched the Jets-Denver game, so we'll talk about Russell Wilson and Zach Wilson, as well as the other Wilson in that game, Garrett Wilson. I'm going to offer kind of a, I don't know if the right word is correction, but we're going to talk about Lamar Jackson in this episode He lost to Pittsburgh on Sunday, and I talked about how that game ended, but I think there's more context I need to add and share uh, for the whole story of that game. I'm going to answer two Patreon questions in this episode, and I think my favorite topic from today's show is all about Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins, who is currently the Vikings quarterback, I want to talk about the future of Kirk Cousins, where he might go, whether that's midseason this year or next year in free agency. Uh, Before we do anything, though, we need to take a short break. I need to pay for things like food and shelter, a place to live. You know, we live in kind of a depressing, sad society where it's, you know, you got to always, you're just kind of on this little treadmill, always trying to pay your bills. So I got to pay my bills. I'll take a short break. I will be right back. Prize Picks is the number one daily fantasy sports app. Prize Picks allows you to make an entry based on player projections. And in 60 seconds, you can enter something like, Travis Kelsey more than five catches, Tyreek Hill more than 100 yards receiving, and Justin Fields less than 200 yards passing. And if your picks are right, you can win money. Making picks makes games more engaging, and you could turn something like $5 into $50. Prize Picks offers quick and easy deposits. You can even use Apple Pay. And they have weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. For example, there's a weekly event called Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. So put your skills to the test in daily fantasy. Go to prizepicks.com/clns and use code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com/clns code CLNS. For a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks. Daily fantasy made easy. All right, we are back. Let's jump in and talk about Monday Night Football. On Monday Night Football, the Raiders beat the Green Bay Packers 17-13. to I want to start by talking about Packers quarterback Jordan Love. In this game on Monday Night, Jordan Love had not one, not even two, but three interceptions. And by the way, zero touchdowns. And that's, when you look at that from um, far away, that's not great. And I would say that Jordan Love did not have a good game here on Monday night against the Raiders. He was 16 for 30 passing, had 182 yards. Most of those yards came on a really long deep ball to Christian Watson, went for like 74 yards. Uh, He had zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Let's call this game what it was. It was a bad game for Jordan Love. And Jordan Love got the ball really... Beyond the stat line, what really kills me the most about Jordan Love in this football game is that he had an opportunity to take a bad game and redeem himself and make it into a win either way because they got the ball twice down 
17 to 13, two times in the final seven minutes, the Packers had the ball and they couldn't score. In fact, really what happened, Jordan Love threw an interception at the end of the game with 44 seconds left that kind of sealed the victory for the Raiders. Now, that was a great interception. I thought he was targeting Christian Watson and the corner made an incredible play on the ball. But still, what I want to really stress here is that I don't want to freak out about Jordan Love. He had a bad game on Monday night. And I have been observing the overreactions today and last night on social media. It's pretty wild to me, man. Like, week one, Jordan Love threw three touchdowns against the Chicago Bears. Then week two, he did it again. He threw three touchdowns against Atlanta. And at that point, two games into the year, everybody was saying how amazing it is the Packers went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers to now Jordan Love. They were throwing Jordan Love in the same category as those two as like another great Packers quarterback. So after two games as the starting quarterback this year in Green Bay, Jordan Love is viewed as a franchise quarterback. Now, five games in, they're two and three. He throws three interceptions on Monday Night Football. Suddenly, Jordan Love is viewed as a bum. Like, I... I find it exhausting. People need to stop overreacting. It's driving me crazy. Going into this year for Green Bay, Green Bay, the Green Bay Packers, I had really, really moderate expectations going into this year. I'm like, okay, like they're really young. They've got a solid defense, but a lot of young receivers there in Green Bay. Got a young quarterback, Jordan Love. First time really being the starting quarterback. And I said, even going into the year, Jordan Love is going to have some really tough moments. There's going to be fun highlights and good moments and some bad moments. It's going to be a learning year for him. They're two and three. He just had a really bad game, but I really hate all the wild, hot takes. Jordan Love is terrible. What does he even do? Like, calm down. It's, it's a bad game. Five weeks into his season on a Monday night football game. I just, maybe Jordan Love is garbage. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's what's going to play out. But we got to let the year play out. I'm really, really finding myself exhausted and worn out by everyone rushing to have the newest, hottest, most spicy, crazy take. It's like, man, I just, we're five games in. They're two and three. He's had some good games and had some bad games. Can we let it play out? We're in such a hurry to figure out if Jordan Love is the future and how good he is. It's like, you, you got to let him play. You got to wait a couple weeks. You got to wait till like week, frankly, watch the whole season. Then break down the film and tell me, does he look good? Does he look bad? Do we think he can be good next year? But like, what is the hurry here with people rushing to have these crazy hot takes about Jordan Love? I don't understand. I don't like it. And, uh, you know, I this show, Strong Opinion Sports, uh, has really evolved, I think. It used to be kind of a hot take show. It's really now almost moderate opinion sports. I try to be fair. I try to be honest. And sometimes the hardest thing to say what I would call the strongest opinion is saying that you got to be patient. Maybe you got to wait. Maybe you got to, I don't know, acknowledge that there's nuance and not everything is black and white. But I'm, I'm really getting sick of the, the pendulum swinging two games in Jordan Love, franchise quarterback. He's amazing. Then now five games into it, you know, three weeks later, it swung the other way. Jordan Love is terrible. It's like, you can't have both. You can't swing wildly one way, then wildly back the other how about we just say Jordan Love is really early into his NFL career, and we'll see how the year turns out. I don't know why we can't do that. I don't know why. I mean, I know why people want clicks and views, but it's killing me, man. It really, really is driving me crazy. This attitude we have in America to rush to like have these really wild opinions immediately. It's like just, hey, 
maybe Jordan Love is terrible. Maybe he's great, but you got to let the year play out. By the end of the year, we'll have a really clear idea how it's going, and we can talk about how it's going as the year goes on, but I can't wait until March to do a film analysis breaking down every game Jordan Love played in, showing the good, showing the bad, showing the progress he makes as his year goes on, but I, I really don't understand the rush to be first and the rush to throw him away and say he's garbage and three weeks after you just called him a franchise quarterback. I really don't understand the the wild emotional roller coaster people go on when it comes to Jordan Love. Now, I got to say, Monday night, I'm just glad the game is close. I mean, it was close. It was interesting. Seven minutes left. It was a four-point game. The Packers had the ball late. They threw an interception in the end zone. But it really, for me, like after Sunday night where we saw the 49ers destroy the Dallas Cowboys, which I don't mind watching the Cowboys get their butts kicked. If any team is going to lose by 32 points, I'm very happy to see the Cowboys lose that way, quite honestly. Um, mostly just because I'm really tired of their fan base. This is our year. We're the best. Like, I, I acknowledge that the Cowboys do well, but I, I don't hate watching them lose. But after watching so many NFL games recently being blowouts where like we're seeing starters rest and we're seeing players taken out in the fourth quarter and the leads are massive. Uh, I invested way too much time watching the Saints and Patriots game for that to be a disaster. I'm like, why did I even watch this game? It's it's 34 to nothing, and I could have watched a different football game. So I was just happy on Monday night. It wasn't a blowout. It was interesting and close till the end. And uh, really what's surprising to me, not only how many blowouts we have this year in the NFL, but offensive line play has been like all-time bad in the NFL. It's really, really insane to me how ineffective offensive lines have been. They've been bad. Their communication has been terrible. Um, I don't know what's going on. What I do know is that pass rushers are like becoming increasingly valuable and getting a guy off the edge who can disrupt an opposing offense because he's just a freak of nature, an incredibly gifted athlete who can make the big 300 pound guy miss and run around people and get after the quarterback. Like that guy has been having an all-time impact. And one guy we saw on Monday night uh, the Raiders won. It was really nice for them. But by far, the MVP of the game for the Raiders. They win 17-13 to over Green Bay. Raiders defensive end Max Crosby was unbelievable. He's got a really big contract, and he earned every penny of it on Monday night. Max Crosby by himself. He only had one sack, which is kind of crazy. Like I thought for sure when I looked at the final numbers it was going to be more. But Max Crosby by himself disrupted the entire Green Bay Packers offense. He was constantly causing problems for their quarterback, Jordan Love, getting pressure. There was a play that really sticks out in my mind. They put a tight end on his side next to the right tackle. He goes, he takes a step outside, then loops all the way around inside, all the way into the A-gap, runs right up the middle and gets pressure on Jordan Love. You're like, what? Can no one get in front of Max Crosby? He's so athletic. He's so gifted. Uh, And uh, man, he, he really is just a great pro, a veteran. Uh, not quite, I guess not, he's not old, he's not like a veteran, but he's been in the league a while and really approaches the NFL um, the same way like an electrician would, a blue collar worker would, all into his work, he does it year round, and uh, man, I I really enjoyed watching Max Crosby, Uh, a guy who was easy to root for, do really well on Monday night, and uh, it really shows, as as we look ahead to the NFL draft, and we're going to see teams making decisions on who they keep and who they get rid of. I think, man, if you're an NFL team right now, the best thing you can do is get a really, really athletic, really, really physically gifted pass rusher. Because if you can teach that guy how to get after the quarterback and how to give high-level effort, and, you know, that's one thing about Max Crosby that really stands out is 
every play, his motor is going 100%. He's giving insane effort, getting after the quarterback. He never stops. And uh, when you watch Nick Bosa, TJ Watt, Max Crosby, the guys who are doing uh, pass rushing at the highest level of the NFL, I guess, the guys who are doing it the best, just never stop. And if you can teach that really athletic guy a couple moves and then have him just give insane effort— you're going to get after the quarterback in today's NFL because offensive lines are at an all-time low. And if I had a top five pick in next year's draft, I'd be looking like, where's the guy who plays with insane effort, who's really athletic, that we can teach how to use a couple moves with his hands to get after opposing quarterbacks? Because that is the direction the NFL is trending. Quarterbacks are more athletic than ever. Offensive lines are worse than ever. And D linemen are more important than ever, especially a pass rusher like Max Crosby who can get after the offensive, uh, get after the quarterback and disrupt the opposing offense, man. Like, Max Crosby was incredible on Monday night, even if the numbers don't quite show that. Only one sack, but he, he really, really did cause so many problems for the Packers. Now, I want to, I, I kind of want to say something out of pocket here. I've got a question, right? And I, I just went on a tangent or a rant about hot takes and Jordan Love, how they drive me nuts. So I don't. I want to be careful here. I'm asking a question. I don't want to give you a hot take. I want to ask a question of something that I don't understand. There's a, there's a thing here that when I watch the Raiders, I just don't understand the plan. My question is this. What is the Raiders' long-term plan? Because they brought in Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason, and despite a, you know, they won on Monday Night Football, they're still two and three. Their year isn't great. The Raiders are a mediocre football team. Jimmy Garoppolo is a mediocre quarterback leading a mediocre team. And in four games this year, remember he sat out one with an injury, Aiden O'Connell played. Jimmy Garoppolo has six touchdown passes and seven interceptions. He's turning over the ball more than he's scoring touchdowns. And I just don't get it. I really don't understand. Like, I think the Raiders would almost be better off without Jimmy Garoppolo. They would be truly a bad team, and that would give them a higher draft pick so they could go get a high-level, really talented quarterback in next year's draft. The problem with Jimmy Garoppolo right now is he's solid. He's mediocre and kind of fine, and they're going to hover around 500, maybe just slightly less. They'll be like, I don't know, 7-10, and 8-9, and 6-11. They're not going to be good enough to go get one of the best quarterbacks in the draft, but the Raiders are going to be good enough that they're going to stay average and mediocre, and... When the Raiders brought in Jimmy Garoppolo, I was very skeptical. Like, I don't really know how Jimmy Garoppolo makes you significantly better, but I acknowledge that Ziegler, the general manager, uh, you know, Josh McDaniels, head coach, they've got ties to Jimmy Garoppolo from New England. They like him. They trust him. But I don't really know how having a mediocre quarterback like Jimmy Garoppolo is really helping the Raiders long term. When really what I when I see the Raiders play football, and I watched Jimmy Garoppolo. He had a play that really stands out to me. He's stepping up in the pocket. He had uh, Mayer wide open in the flat. He just threw the ball in the dirt. It was a horrible ball. And you're like, what is Jimmy Garoppolo really bringing to the Raiders that helps them long term? I don't know. I guess he stabilizes them and gives them a leader. But the Raiders really need to be probably horrible if they're going to get a quarterback that's going to allow them to be great. And so I think Jimmy Garoppolo is just this weird duct tape solution at quarterback for the Raiders that long-term is actually, if anything, hurting them. And so I want to hear from Raiders fans, how do you feel about Jimmy Garoppolo? Because they had a nice win, I, I guess, on Monday night, but 
really what I see when I watch the Raiders is kind of an average team that struggles to run the football and has a great receiver, but Devontae Adams doesn't have a quarterback who can get him the ball effectively all the time. Jimmy Garoppolo is very limited, has kind of an average arm. Like, what the Raiders need is Drake May or Cameron Ward or someone who's really talented to come out of college football and help them. And maybe that's actually Kirk Cousins next year. But I just really am not sure how Jimmy Garoppolo is helping the Raiders long-term become a high-level winning football team. They're going to win, like, six, seven, eight games at best this year and be very average. And I just don't think long-term... That's what the Raiders need to be. They need a really good quarterback who can help them become a great football team. And uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, if anything, is going to keep them mediocre rather than allowing them to be bad enough to truly draft the quarterback that they need. So I just, hmm, I, I watch the Raiders, I watch Jimmy Garoppolo, and I just don't get it. I don't get the plan. I'm not sure what he brings to the table that really helps them. And uh, Raiders fans, feel free to chime in because I want to hear from you guys. How do you feel about Jimmy Garoppolo? And how do you feel about the direction things are heading? Because for me, I watch the Raiders and just have questions. I'm like, uh, I, don't, I don't quite get this. I don't understand. And I want to understand. I want to learn what the plan is. But maybe I'm not alone. Maybe Raiders fans also watch their team and go, yeah, Zach, we don't really understand the long-term plan either here. We don't know why Jimmy Garoppolo is here. And we don't know why he helps us either. All right. All um, right. I went back, I watched the Broncos and Jets game from Sunday. There was a lot of really, really ugly football. The Jets beat Denver 31-21. to And to me, the headlining story of this game, watching the Jets win on Sunday, the number one takeaway here is that Zach Wilson, the Jets' young quarterback, didn't really look that great. He didn't show any real improvement. I thought that the Kansas City game two weeks ago was a really solid game where he could kind of build off the good plays and grow and become even better in the future. Unfortunately, on Sunday against Denver, he was fine. He was just fine, though. He wasn't great. He wasn't, like, making high-level throws. He was 19 for 26 passing, had 199 yards, one interception, no touchdowns. Um, Zach Wilson fumbled twice. Like, he's putting the ball on the ground. He got lucky. The Jets recovered both of them. Lake and Tomlinson recovered one. Zach Wilson recovered his own fumble one time, but Zach Wilson was very, very underwhelming in this game against what I would call, frankly, the Denver defense is the worst defense in the entire NFL statistically. So the Jets did not win because of their young quarterback, Zach Wilson. The Jets absolutely won because of their defense, not their quarterback. Two times the Jets defense stopped Denver on the goal and they had the ball first and goal and Four plays in a row, couldn't score, and they kicked a field goal. So to have Denver inside the, you know, on the goal line, first and goal, and hold them to two field goals in that situation, that's why they won. That's a big difference. On top of that, the way this game ended was really, really weird. Uh, Denver got a touchdown with four minutes and 44 seconds left. Then they got the two-point conversion. That made it a three-point game. The Jets had a 24-21 to lead. So the Jets have the ball. They're driving. They're trying to put the game away. And on third and five, deep in the Broncos' territory, Zach Wilson tried to throw a back shoulder fade to their number one receiver, Garrett Wilson. But instead of putting the ball outside along the sideline, he left it way too far inside where Patrick Sertan, uh, the really good Pat, Patrick, Pat Sertan, the number good corner for Denver, however you say his name. I don't know. I actually don't know if it's Patrick or Pat. I'm going to call him Pat Sertan. That's how I've heard it said before. Pat Sertan makes a great play on the ball, picks it off on a fall that Zach Wilson left too far inside for a back shoulder fade. So it's a bad ball location. 
On top of that, there's another play that really sticks out from Zach Wilson right before halftime. They've got 15 seconds left. They got the ball. Clock is stopped. And for some reason, Zach Wilson completes a pass inside, uh, you know, in bounds, basically. So he doesn't throw the ball in a position where a receiver can catch it and get out of bounds. He completes a pass in bounds. The clock runs out. They don't get a field goal attempt before halftime. And that's because Zach Wilson shouldn't have thrown the ball where he threw it. You got to throw the ball out of bounds. It cannot have a running clock there. They didn't have time to get the line of scrimmage and, you know, uh, spike the ball. So there are a couple of critical errors Zach Wilson made. The back shoulder fade is the one that sticks out the most where, hey, that's probably a completion. You got a great receiver out there. It's a great matchup, Pat Sertan against Garrett Wilson, but you leave the ball too far inside, it gets picked off. That's a throw that, frankly, would have been a completion with Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback. There's another one, a throw down the left sideline where I, you know, Garrett Wilson ran himself out of bounds. I thought he didn't leave enough room to the sideline. But when it comes down to who's more reliably made fewer mistakes, Garrett Wilson or Zach Wilson, I kind of wonder, did Zach Wilson throw Garrett Wilson out of bounds? Or is that really Garrett Wilson's fault for not maintaining that distance like five yards from the sideline and letting the ball lead him out of bounds rather than him, because Garrett Wilson was way too close to the sideline. He caught the ball out of bounds. I wonder if that could have been a completion, but certainly with Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback, that probably is a completion. So Zach Wilson is leaving things on the table. He's fumbling, throwing an interception, ball location's just okay. Honestly, um, what really killed me, though, was with the lead, Zach Wilson throws an interception late in the game with a three-point lead, giving the ball back to Denver. So instead of putting the game away, Zach Wilson just handed the ball right back to Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos. And uh, it wasn't Zach that made the play to put the game away. It was actually the Jets' defense who made a big play. They sealed the game. Denver had the ball. They were kind of starting to drive. They converted a big third and 15, which was, I remember third and 15, Russ throws the ball down the seam. I'm like, ooh, that's a nice throw. Okay, maybe the Broncos are in business here. And uh, the Jets' defense made a play. Russ steps up in the pocket. He's trying to escape left. Ball gets knocked out of his hands. The Jets pick it up. They grab the fumble and run for a touchdown. That gives the Jets a 31-21 lead. So who made the play late in the game to seal the deal? It wasn't Zach Wilson. It was the Jets' defense, who all game long had delivered. They got a touchdown with 29 seconds left, giving the Jets a 10-point lead. Once again, the Jets' defense won this game, not Zach Wilson. I was really excited about Zach Wilson, but... What I saw on Sunday against Denver was kind of like, ah, this is just disappointing and mediocre and average. And uh, we'll see. I have an open mind. Uh, maybe Zach Wilson keeps growing and getting better. But to me, like, again, uh, the Broncos defense is the worst in the entire NFL. If you're not going to look good against Denver, what are we doing here? So I've got my concerns about Zach Wilson, reservations maybe, but I still have an open mind and I would like to see him grow and get better. I just didn't see that on Sunday. And in general, by the way, this was really a sloppy, ugly football game. Uh, the Jets only converted three of their 12 third downs. Uh, the Jets were 0 for 5 in the red zone. They kicked five field goals. The Jets had two turnovers on the day. Like, the Jets' offense was not efficient. They weren't great. They were very mediocre. Denver wasn't much better. Denver converted only four of their 10 third downs. They had three turnovers. They looked sloppy. They had a play where... I actually thought it was killer. They had Sauce Gardner got injured, which is the Jets' number one really good corner. And the very next play, instead of taking a shot at the backup corner, they ran like a double reverse and fumbled. And you're like, Sean Payton, that's not a great play call, man. I love you. Your screen calls were great all game. But that's, I thought, a missed opportunity where 
They could have attacked a backup corner rather than running a screen and executing it poorly and fumbling. On the day, again, Denver had three turnovers. They were two for four in the red zone. This was just a really ugly kind of sloppy game for both teams. And uh, it, it wasn't the toilet bowl, which was, remember, the Bears against Denver a couple, you know, two weeks ago. But, uh, man, I, I really uh, I found myself disappointed by this football game for sure. Uh, now, there is some bad news, by the way. If you're a Jets fan, I'm really sorry. Against Denver, Jets offensive lineman Elijah Vera Tucker tore his Achilles. Remember, he's a 2021 first-round pick. He's played basically every position on the offensive line for the Jets over the years. He's fantastic. Uh, and it's really kind of weird because last year, Elijah Vera Tucker got injured with a season-ending injury last year, also in Denver. So two years in a row, Elijah Vera Tucker goes to Denver and gets hurt so badly that his season is over. I mean, that's a... If I were Elijah Vera Tucker, I'd be like, I'm never playing in Denver again. Every time I go there, I have a horrible injury. My season comes to an end, and you got to feel bad for him. Now, I want to talk about Denver Broncos quarterback Russell Wilson. Russ is getting paid a ton of money. There's a lot of pressure there. When you're getting paid tons and tons of money, but your team is one in four, that's pretty awful. That's an awful start to the year, and there's a lot of pressure and a lot of disappointment and a lot of frustration building up in Denver. But Russell Wilson is actually tied right now for the second most touchdown passes in the NFL. And when you watch Russ, he's moving really well. He ran for like 49 yards against the Jets. He's getting out of the pocket. I think Russell Wilson, frankly, physically looks better than he has in a couple of years as an athlete. And uh, so far this year in five games, Russell Wilson has 11 touchdown passes, two interceptions and a fumble. So 11 touchdowns and three turnovers. So to me, when I look at Denver and all the problems going wrong there, they're one and four. Russell Wilson is nowhere near the number one problem in Denver. He's getting paid a ton of money. He could play better, I guess, but easily, definitely the number one problem in Denver is their defense. Their defense is giving up awful numbers, 70 points against them in Miami. That really hurts their numbers. But if you look at statistically the worst defense in football, it's easily and by far the Denver Broncos. So it's hard to win football games if your defense is giving up a ton of points and making Justin Fields look good and giving up 70 points. I don't know. I just, I think Russ is getting a lot of hate this year. He's not been horrible. His On paper, his numbers are actually pretty good. And I, I don't think Russ has been outstanding. I don't think Russ has been, wow, such a great quarterback. But he's like 12th in passing yards, um, which 12 and 7 are all really close. He's like pretty close to Patrick Mahomes, actually, who's in seventh. Like, to me, I just look at what Russell Wilson's doing this year and I'm like, you know, there's a lot of things going wrong in Denver. By far, Russ is not even near the worst. Russ is totally fine and doing an okay job. The defense is the thing that really stands out in Denver. Like, my God, these guys are just embarrassing and uh, giving up tons of yards, giving up tons of points. It's hard to win games if your defense is terrible in the NFL. And uh, certainly, that's what's going on in Denver. I want to talk about Kirk Cousins. So, Kirk Cousins is currently the Minnesota Vikings quarterback. His future to me is very, very interesting. Right now, Kirk Cousins is second in the league in passing, right behind Tua. Kirk has thrown for 1,498 yards this year in just five games. He's got 13 touchdowns, the most touch, uh, touchdown passes in the NFL. Four interceptions and a fumble. So, Kirk has 13 touchdowns and five turnovers. The Vikings, though, 
are one and four. They are not winning or look good at all this year. The Vikings are kind of a mess. Uh, now we have learned that Vikings receiver Justin Jefferson, who is arguably the best receiver in the entire NFL, Justin Jefferson has a sprained hamstring. He's going to be out for at least the next four games. He's got put on the IR, so injured reserve. If Justin Jefferson is only out for the next four games, he's still going to miss the game at Chicago, miss the 49ers game, miss the Packers game, miss the Atlanta game, and it could be longer. I mean, what's the incentive for Justin Jefferson to come back? Remember, he's on a contract year, didn't get the contract he wants, and his quarterback may or may not get moved. We're not really sure. So I think the Vikings are heading towards a really, really bad time. Their number one receiver is out. Their quarterback is killing it. It doesn't seem to matter. They're still one and four and losing. And because Kirk Cousins is on the final year of his contract, he's one and four. I think Kirk is going to leave after this year. I think regardless of what goes down in Minnesota, the time with the relationship with Kirk Cousins in Minnesota has come to an end. And uh, I believe the Minnesota Vikings should trade Kirk Cousins if they can. Because if you can get something for Kirk Cousins before you lose him for nothing, that's great. And... You're losing with Kirk Cousins anyway. So if you, even if you re-sign him to a big long-term contract after this year, how much better does that really make you? Like the Vikings really probably have to restart and rebuild everything. They're one and four. Um, I would like to see the Minnesota Vikings go get a young quarterback in the draft. Maybe Cam Ward, maybe Caleb Williams, maybe Drake May. But when you're one and four, your best player, Justin Jefferson, is injured. Your quarterback's killing it, and it doesn't seem to matter. It starts to become time to think about the draft for next year. So I want to maintain this. I think what really needs to happen in Minnesota, they got to trade Kirk Cousins away. I don't think they'll get a lot for him. They'll probably get like a second-round pick. I know that seems crazy, but there's not a lot of leverage. If you're another team trading for Kirk Cousins, you're also getting him midseason. Plus, he's on the last year of his contract. So I don't think the Kirk Cousins trade market is that great, but you can get something for Kirk rather than nothing. It actually reminds me a lot of Shohei Otani with the Angels. Remember, Shohei Otani, he's not quite Kirk Cousins. Remember, Shohei Otani is like a generational, incredible baseball player who can hit home runs and pitch and do incredible stuff. But Shohei Otani was on the last year of his contract in LA this year. And uh, at the trade deadline, the LA Angels decided not to trade Shohei Otani. They decided to keep him. Now, as a result, he's going to leave in free agency and they're going to lose him for nothing. You could have got something for him, probably some prospects, probably build up your, your organization. Instead, Shohei Otani is going to walk away from the Angels with them getting nothing from it. I think Minnesota has an opportunity here to look at Kirk Cousins and say, let's trade him for something rather than lose him for nothing. But let's imagine that maybe they don't trade him. Maybe Kirk Cousins stays in Minnesota through the trade deadline I've heard teams like the Jets are offered out there. I don't think the Jets would trade for Kirk Cousins because they still think they're going to get Aaron Rodgers back next year. But let's imagine, what if Kirk Cousins can finish the year in Minnesota, his contract is over, and he becomes a free agent? Remember, the Vikings do not have the possibility to franchise tag him. Four teams come to mind that could maybe make a move for Kirk Cousins. Number one is Atlanta. The Atlanta Falcons, Desmond Ritter, their quarterback, is suspect at times. He's been okay, but not great. He had a good game this week, but last couple games have been rough. He's a young quarterback who's got, I think, limited potential anyway. Like, here's the thing. with When you compare Jordan Love or Desmond Ritter, 
both of them has been pretty hot and cold, good and good moments, bad moments, some scary moments. The thing about Jordan Love is he's really, really talented. Jordan Love has got a really high ceiling that Desmond Ritter, frankly, doesn't have. So I would not be shocked if Atlanta, after this year, said, you know what? The Desmond Ritter experiment didn't work. Maybe we go make a move for Kirk Cousins. And Kirk might go to Atlanta because his wife is from Georgia. They have family there. He's a big family-oriented guy. And they need a quarterback. That'd be interesting. So Atlanta is a spot where Kirk Cousins could go after this year. What about New England? Number two, the New England Patriots have Mac Jones, a young quarterback who's really struggling. And I think they've got decent weapons there. They've got two good tight ends. They've got some speed at receiver. Got a running back from Andre Stevenson. I think Kirk Cousins could do better than what Mac Jones is doing right now in New England. And maybe that's the move for Bill Belichick and the Patriots. If Bill Belichick even keeps his job after this year, maybe the Patriots make a move and go get Kirk Cousins and say, this is the next quarterback, Mac Jones. You weren't good enough for moving on. Another team that could give up on their young quarterback is Pittsburgh. Kenny Pickett, the former first-round pick in Pittsburgh, has been, I would call him wildly disappointing this year. Now, I think if you're Pittsburgh, what you're going to do is get rid of your offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, and you're going to get rid of the offensive coordinator before you give up on the young quarterback. But maybe Pittsburgh goes, hmm, we got a shot at Kirk Cousins. Let's go make it happen. Let's go get a really talented quarterback who's put up big numbers and can help us win and maybe make a playoff game this year. I don't know that that makes sense, but if you're going to get rid of Kenny Pickett and you're got, I think Pittsburgh's probably going to end up with like a middle first round pick. So they're not going to have access to a top quarterback in the draft. It's either Kenny Pickett or Kirk Cousins. And if you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I think that's an improvement to go for Kenny Pickett, uh, to go for Kirk Cousins rather than Kenny Pickett. And another team that I think is going to be in the mix for Kirk Cousins is Tennessee. Their quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, is on the final year of his deal. They can walk away after this year. Uh, I don't know that people realize this. Ryan Tannehill's contract voids in 2024. So he's got a dead cap of $9 million after this year. You pay him the $9 million over two years, and maybe you bring in Kirk Cousins this year. I think that's very possible with Tennessee. Now, to be honest, though, the quarterback free agent market in the NFL offseason this upcoming season It's going to be not that impressive, I think, because you've got a lot of teams that are not going to need a quarterback, so the market is already pretty limited. Then you've got really good and cheaper quarterbacks available in the draft. Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Cameron Ward, Caleb Williams. I I think Sam Hartman's probably a mid to late fifth round pick that could be interesting to a team like San Francisco or Atlanta, who they'll take him as a backup, but maybe if someone gets hurt, he can play. Who's going to need a quarterback, really, this offseason? Probably Atlanta. Maybe Pittsburgh. Maybe New England. Mac Jones, Kenny Pickett. I think Tennessee is going to be in the quarterback market for sure. Tampa, they like Baker. They're winning. Maybe not. Maybe they sign Baker long-term. I think the Jets are going to get Aaron Rodgers back, so I think they're not going to make a move to go mess up that relationship and bring in Kirk Cousins. Denver's stuck with Russell Wilson financially. The Rams have Matthew Stafford, who's playing well. If if Stafford retires, maybe they make a move for Kirk Cousins. I don't think the Rams are really in the market for Kirk. The 49ers are secure with Brock Purdy. They'd be crazy to move on from Brock Purdy. I know that for a long time, the rumor was the 49ers are going to go get Kirk Cousins. It didn't happen. Brock Purdy's incredible, and he's insanely cheap. You're winning. You're 
you know, what he's never lost a regular season game. They're five and zero. The 49ers to me are not at all in the quarterback market. So I don't know that there's going to be a bubbling heated up market for Kirk Cousins. I think frankly, a lot of teams are not going to be interested. And then also here's another thing that could really impact the Kyler Murray, sorry, the, the Kirk Cousins kind of a Freudian slip there. I think Kyler Murray maybe or maybe not being available via trade could really impact the Kirk Cousins free agent market. So I don't know that there's going to be a lot of suitors. I don't think there's going to be a lot of teams that really want Kirk Cousins, but I don't know. I just, these, these questions, Pittsburgh, maybe they give up on Kenny Pickett, maybe New England, they give up on Mac Jones, maybe Atlanta, maybe Tennessee. That feels like an interesting fit. He'd have a good defense at least. I don't, think I don't think the Rams are in the market. I don't think the Jets are in the market. I don't think the 49ers are in the market, clearly. Um, there's not a lot of teams that I think might even want Kirk Cousins. Now, maybe we see a straight-up trade. What if the Vikings traded Kirk Cousins for Kyler Murray? That's a wild thought. I don't think that's going to happen. But I don't think that... I think Kirk Cousins is going to hit free agency this offseason. And if he does, there's not going to be a lot of teams that really want him. Not a lot of teams need a quarterback, and not a lot of teams want to spend a lot of money on a quarterback who hasn't won a lot during his career. So I don't know that Kirk is going to land somewhere very favorable this offseason. And uh, I'm really, really interested in Kirk Cousins' future after this year and after Minnesota. All right, I got to take a short break. Uh, Remember, I got to pay for food. I got to pay for a place to live, and I got to pay my bills. So I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. Hey guys, uh, it's kind of a big deal here. I'm actually trying to help you, so don't skip the ad. I know that when you listen to a podcast, you skip ahead. I know that because that's what I do, but don't skip this one. We got Factor as a sponsor, and I was sitting down to prepare my little ad read. They give, you know, I, I write a piece of paper with a bunch of notes, and I'm like, okay, what are they offering? What's the deal here? Usually it's like 10 to 20%. You're like, okay, factor.com slash SOS, whatever. And uh, no, 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 they are offering 50% off to Strong Opinion Sports listeners. And here's what they are. They are, Factor is a meal kit service. You can get 50% off. Go to factormeals.com slash SOS50 and use code SOS50 and uh, straight up on a human level. If you'd be kind of silly not to investigate, it's a great deal. Factor is a meal kit service. They send you ready to eat meals. Uh, They're easy to prepare. For me, they showed up in a box with a bunch of high-quality ice packs. You take them out of the box, you put the the meal kits in the fridge, and when you want food, you go to the fridge, you take it out, you put the thing in the microwave, you heat it up, two minutes later, you've got a really good meal ready to go. Now, the microwave part made me kind of go, what is this? Is it a bunch of TV dinners? Like, what is this crap? No, 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 this is phenomenal food. It's high-quality, it's never frozen, and compared to all the other options you can have for a quick and easy meal, it kind of kicks booty and is phenomenal. So... What I really think is interesting, too, there's so many ways to customize your order, whether you are maybe you're on a diet and you're like, hey, I'm trying to cut calories. There are low calorie options. Or maybe you just want really good food that's easy to make and doesn't take 30 minutes to an hour out of your time cooking during the day. Like for me, I'm really busy with football season and it's an incredibly valuable thing for me to go to my fridge, grab a really good meal, pull it out, put it in the microwave. Two minutes later, I've got a good meal ready to go. I saved a lot of time. It's cheaper for you and better than takeout or delivery. I used to drive for a delivery service. Guys, those prices are not good compared to this. Um, So, again, it's just nice to have the fridge loaded with high-quality good meals that are easy to prepare. 
And you can get 50% off of this meal kit service. Do the math. That's a really good offer. So head to factormeals.com slash SOS50 and use code SOS50 to get 50% off. That is factormeals.com slash SOS50. Use code SOS50 to get 50% off. Again, code SOS50 at factormeals.com slash SOS50 to get 50% off. And uh, guys, it's a great offer. You would be silly. I'm trying to help you. Like that would be a great thing to investigate because it's legitimately a great deal. Food's expensive right now. And having food that's great and convenient and not terrible for you is a rare thing. So investigate it, factorymeals.com slash SOS50. All right, we are back. Um, I want to make a statement here that is really, really bothering me. We have to stop overpaying average quarterbacks. Average quarterbacks are making way, way too much money in the NFL. The number one offender to me. To me, Dak Prescott has by far the worst contract in the entire NFL. If the Cowboys decide to cut Dak Prescott after this year in 2023, so let's say next year in the 2024 offseason, after this year, the Cowboys say, we're done with Dak, we're going to cut you. It would be suicidal. It would be ridiculous because that would cost the Cowboys $61.9 million in dead cap space. So they're stuck with Dak. But even if they keep Dak Prescott, it's still going to cost the Cowboys $59.4 million of salary cap space next year. It's a lose-lose situation. And I think, to me, the Dallas Cowboys have the worst quarterback contract in the entire NFL. They're paying a mediocre quarterback way too much money, and I hope that other teams around the league learn from that. You don't want to be hamstrung to a quarterback who is average and doesn't deliver in big moments. That's exactly what's happening to the Dallas Cowboys this year. I think it happened when you know Tennessee signed Ryan Tannehill. I would actually not say that about Kirk Cousins. He did a lot of good stuff. They made a playoff game. Um, although you could even argue Kirk Cousins got paid too much. But to me, like we're just—it's like Oprah. You get way too much money. You get way too much money. You get way too much money. In the NFL, there's this history of. Giving average mediocre quarterbacks, quarterbacks like Daniel Jones, who I think didn't deserve it, way too much money. The Daniel Jones contract comes to mind. He's it's a heated conversation, but I still maintain Daniel Jones with a really good offensive line and maybe a receiver who can win one-on-one matchups like Devontae Adams. That'd be really interesting. Um, I think Daniel Jones is actively being ruined by his offensive line where he's bailing out of the pocket early. He looks hesitant. He looks nervous. Um but I will say that despite my um, my support of Daniel Jones saying that I don't think he's entirely getting a fair shake, right? I think the team around him is pretty horrible. It still needs to be said that whoever gave Daniel Jones a four-year, $160 million contract, $82 million to, guaranteed, that's a bad contract. I mean, I don't – I wish we could have seen the Giants allow Daniel Jones to go to free agency because I don't know that anyone would have given a big long-term offer. And you could have been talking to Daniel Jones and then matched whatever the best offer he would have got. I just thought that it was really absurd and weird the Giants gave him a long-term contract that was, I don't know if not deserving is the right thing to say there, but he did some good stuff. He was fine. He wasn't $160 million worth of good. And uh, I just, I don't understand why NFL teams are such, you know, I, I would call them suckers almost. Like, why are you in such a hurry to give... Average, mediocre quarterbacks, big, long-term money. If you're trying to win, at least. Right? I I don't get it. 
And uh, I think it really is hurting NFL franchises. You're not allowed to then spend money in other areas to really bolster your team around that quarterback. And um, I think we're heading towards a situation where young quarterbacks are going to be coming to the NFL like crazy. The college ranks are full of really talented, really interesting young quarterbacks. And as I look at high school football, like high school quarterbacks are getting better than ever. And I think in the future generations, we're going to see more and more young quarterbacks. And instead of paying a quarterback like Dak Prescott $160 million, you're going to go, I think we can get a similar amount of value from a quarterback in the draft for like a fourth of the price. So I don't know, man. I think we got to stop giving mediocre and average quarterbacks way too much money in the NFL. It's killing our league that we love. Um, that's maybe a bit over the top. It's really, really hurting NFL teams and it's causing them to kind of be hamstrung and and stuck with quarterbacks that are not going to allow them to go where they want to go. And I think the Dallas Cowboys are a prime example of a team that if they were free to make a move after this year to go get Kirk Cousins, maybe, or Kyler Murray, the Cowboys would be way better, but because they're stuck with the Dak Prescott contract, they can't make a move this offseason. they got to stick with Dak at least for next year. And I think the Cowboys' defense is too good. The weapons they have on offense are too good. And some of the stuff going on in Dallas is too prepared to win to be held back by a quarterback like Dak Prescott. And that, to me, is really, really disappointing. And uh, I just hope that the next team that gives out a really big long-term contract to a quarterback makes sure that they're giving it to... A guy like Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, like the few rare guys, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, guys who are truly deserving rather than a mediocre to average quarterback like our poster boy, Dak Prescott. All right. um, Last episode, I talked about Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. He had two late fourth quarter turnovers uh, in a 17 to 10 loss to Pittsburgh. Now, I think upon reflection, I left out an important detail of that loss. You need to know this. The Ravens dropped seven passes in this football game. Three of those passes would have been touchdowns in my book. Mark Andrews dropped a touchdown. It was high, but it went through his hands. Rashad Bateman dropped a touchdown. It would have been obvious and easy on third and goal. There's a deep ball to Nelson Aguilar that got dropped. It was like a perfect ball that should have been a touchdown. He would have had to catch it on the 10-yard line and run into the end zone, but that looked like a touchdown to me that he dropped. Zay Flowers was wide open. He literally fell down. I mean, there were moments where I thought the Ravens' offense didn't help Lamar Jackson. And so far, the new Ravens' offense that I've been hoping they got Todd Munkin, a new offensive coordinator. They brought in Zay Flowers. They brought in Odell Beckham Jr. Odell's been hurt and not available, and when he is available, not great. Can't win one-on-one matchups. Rashad Bateman had a drop touchdown on Sunday. He's been injured a lot. Zay Flowers has regularly been delivering to some degree, but he just had a huge you know, pass that he, he couldn't deliver because he fell down. I mean, there are moments where the Ravens' new offense around Lamar Jackson has been incredibly, incredibly disappointing. And so as I pointed the finger on what was that Monday's episode, last episode, talking about Lamar and saying he had two late turnovers, I think part of what got left out was that the players around him had opportunities and didn't take advantage of them. And they were good throws by Lamar that, frankly, should have been caught and should have been touchdowns that uh, would have made the game way, way easier and definitely a victory for Baltimore. By the way, it's worth mentioning uh, Dolphins stud running back Devin Achan has a knee injury. So he's going to miss a couple weeks, and uh, he's been 
exciting and fun. They have Jeff Wilson Jr., a running back in Miami that I think is going to be returning to practice. They've also got Raheem Mostert. I've talked regularly about how I love the approach from Miami at the running back position by not giving a running back a ton of money. They're not signing anyone to a 10-year deal or sorry, do a $10 million one-year deal like Josh Jacobs or Saquon Barkley. They said, we're going to spread out the money, pay running backs very little, and pay a couple of them like $1 to $2 million this year. And so that if somebody gets hurt, you can go next man up. So Devin Achan, Devin Achan is hurt, is going to be out for a couple weeks. I think they're going to be fine. They're better with him there for sure, but they've got Raheem Mostert. Looks like Jeff Wilson Jr. is coming back. The beauty to the Dolphins' approach at the running back position is by paying $6 million to four running backs rather than $10 million to one running back, you're spreading out the risk. If one guy gets hurt, you got a couple other guys that can still play and still be effective. And uh, we'll see how that experiment goes in Miami. But right now, I just can't say enough good about what's going on at the running back position in Miami. They look really smart. They look efficient. They're paying running backs very little, getting high-level value out of them. And if one guy gets hurt, they've got a couple other guys that can play to replace him. It's also worth noting uh, Colts quarterback Anthony Richardson has a sprained AC joint on his right throwing shoulder. So uh, Anthony Richardson is going to be out four to six weeks. I saw some criticism of me recently. Why aren't you talking about Anthony Richardson? Remember, first of all, I like to, you know, I really drag my feet. I let young quarterbacks play for a while before I talk about them. Let them really show what they can do. I don't want to overreact to their early success. I don't want to overreact to their maybe failure let them play for a while, then look at their full body of work rather than just looking at a couple highlights and going, wow, oh my gosh. But another reason why I haven't talked about Anthony Richardson very much this year is that he's been injured a lot. He's been getting hurt. He's been not taking care of himself. And I think Anthony Richardson, the number one takeaway here is that he's got to slide. He's got to get down and avoid big hits. He's taking way too many hits. He's having an incredible year when he's on the field, but Gardner Minshew, the backup quarterback, has been playing a ton in Indy. And uh, Anthony Richardson has to do a better job taking care of himself and keeping himself on the field. So far, he hasn't done that. And that is why I haven't covered Anthony Richardson to a crazy degree so far this year. All right, we got two questions on Patreon I want to read today. Patreon.com slash Zach Schaumler. Remember, I don't guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple to read on the show. Question number one today is from Davis. Davis says, all right, Count Zacula, it's spooky season, so enjoy the pun. Even with Justin Fields' win over the Commanders, the Bears are still holding the one and two overall picks in next year's NFL draft. If the picks are still at one and two, should the Bears go after Caleb Williams? I think it's the best move. You pick up Caleb Williams and get him Marvin Harrison Jr. to throw to. Then you've got two great weapons on that team. You fire Matt Eberflus and hire either Eric Bieniemy, Ben Johnson, or Texans OC Bobby Slowick to create a creative and fun offense. I personally believe in Justin Fields, just not in Chicago. And if you're Justin Fields, where would you want to land? I'd like to see him on the Rams or the Giants, two teams with offensive-minded coaches with struggling or aging quarterbacks. So first of all... Um, I'm not really even sure the Bears are going to have the number one and number two overall picks by the end of the year. I mean, I think the Bears might maybe are making progress. We'll see. They played really good two weeks ago against Denver, but they lost. 
Then last week on Thursday night, they won 40 to 20 over Washington, and Justin Fields played really well. And in the last two weeks, Justin Fields has been playing really, really well. So I think that it's possible the Bears make progress and get better and by the end of the year are not the worst team in the NFL. Also, I will say, though, you can't pass on Caleb Williams. If you are Chicago and Caleb Williams is available, number one overall, and you have him, you got to draft him. Although I do worry and wonder, could Caleb Williams stay at USC, take a ton of NAL money rather than going to Chicago, a franchise that is historic for ruining and having horrible, horrible quarterback luck? They ruin young quarterbacks. They have a lot of quarterbacks they've drafted over the years that haven't worked out. Maybe it's just a toxic situation that Caleb Williams goes, I don't want any part of that. I like making money at USC. NIL's great to me. My life's good. I'm in LA. Weather's nice. It's warm. We're winning. Why would Caleb Williams leave USC to go to Chicago? I don't know, man. South Chicago's dangerous. The weather's horrible in December. And it's not a good situation. So I think it's very possible Caleb Williams might stay rather than go to Chicago. And if that happened, what you would do is, I think, keep... Justin Fields, draft a pass rusher and draft Marvin Harrison Jr. Draft a guy who can get after opposing quarterbacks and make a huge impact, a la Aiden Aiden Hutchinson maybe in uh, Detroit, and then go get a really, really talented receiver, Marvin Harrison Jr., to help your young quarterback, Justin Fields. That is if Caleb Williams did not want to come to Chicago and decided to stay in college. One thing I will say, I would love to see Justin Fields in Atlanta, that run-first offense, Bijan Robinson, the weapons they got there with Justin Fields would be really, really interesting and really, really fun. Also, Justin Fields is from Georgia, so it would be like a homecoming for him. But I think that, I mean, can you even imagine what Arthur Smith, like the only quarterback I could see Arthur Smith really doing well with maybe is Justin Fields. I mean, that would be fascinating to see the incredible ways they would run the football in Atlanta with Justin Fields at quarterback. Um, on top of that, though, the Rams would be really interesting. You brought him up to have Justin Fields sit behind Matthew Stafford maybe for a year or two, learn from Matthew Stafford, work with Sean McVay, develop a lot as a quarterback. That's a great idea, actually. That would probably be fantastic for Justin Fields. Um, and then, hey, you know, the Giants are also really interesting. Maybe Daniel Jones plays for a while, and then you pass the torch, and when you're ready to give up on Daniel Jones, you go with Justin Fields, but he can learn from a awesome coach, Brian Dable, and They can work together there. I'm just not sure how Justin Fields would end up in New York. Like the the Giants do not have trade capital to trade for Justin Fields. So um, I think that is a cool idea, but I'm not sure how he would go from Chicago to New York, where I think the Rams could make a trade to give up a, a third round pick that they don't need for Justin Fields, something like that, where I think the Giants need every pick they can take. They can't give up a second or third round pick to get Justin Fields when really what they need is offensive linemen and weapons at receiver. So, interesting question, though, Davis. I like that idea. Caleb Williams going to Chicago, and what would happen if the Bears did end up with a number one and number two pick in next year's NFL draft? Tig wrote in, Tig said, Hey, Zach, what coach in the NFL would work best with Cam Ward? If you want to do this with more upcoming rookies, that would be awesome as well. Uh, Side note, If you're wondering how the commander's defense is going to turn around the bad start to the year, they play the Giants on October 22nd. So, okay, fair enough. Washington commanders, their defense is going to look great when they play the Giants in two weeks. Um, The team I want to see Cameron Ward go to is Minnesota. 
They get rid of Kirk Cousins, whether they trade him. I would probably trade him right now, actually, if I were Minnesota. Trade him where you can get something for him. But you trade Kirk Cousins or you let him go in free agency. You have a horrible year and you draft Cameron Ward. I don't think Cameron Ward is going to be the first quarterback off the board. That's probably going to be Caleb Williams. If you have like uh, the fifth, sixth, maybe even eighth pick, you probably are going to be able to go get Cameron Ward because there's not a lot of teams in the NFL right now that need a new quarterback. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Cameron Ward in Minnesota with Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison. That's a really, really fun offense I would want to watch. They play indoors, which is good for Cameron Ward. He's got a huge arm, though. That's not a problem. I know Cameron Ward's coming off of a bad game against UCLA this past weekend, but I still love him. He's so talented, and that feels like a great way for the Vikings to reset. Really young, talented quarterback who can make plays out of the pocket. Got some young weapons around him. His really cheap contract would allow you to give Justin Jefferson a ton of money, which is awesome. Financially, it makes sense. I think the Vikings got to restart with a young rookie quarterback, and Cameron Ward is exactly what I want to see. Also, you know, the Giants are interesting if they need a quarterback. Like, I could see Tennessee, the Giants. Um, I don't love Tennessee because they don't have an offensive head coach, but the Giants would be really interesting with Cameron Ward. He's so talented, man. Like, and I think it's possible Cameron Ward goes to the NFL and similar to other quarterbacks we've seen in the past that are really, really talent driven rather than uh, decisive. And I guess precise is the word. He could go to the NFL and get great coaching and be even better. Like he's at Washington State. There's no way he's not going to go from Washington State to whatever NFL team he goes to and get better coaching. The Giants, the Vikings, Kevin O'Connell. He's going to get better coaching in the NFL than he's getting in college. Although I like Washington State's coaching. They're doing a good job. But I think that really excites me. The thought of Cameron Ward in Minnesota, that's the move I want to see, and that would be incredible. All right, I want to end the show today with uh, a shout-out to Jamar Chase, the Cincinnati Bengals receiver. The Bengals beat Arizona 34-20 to on Sunday, and Bengals receiver Jamar Chase had 15 catches for 192 yards and three touchdowns. One more time. 15 catches for 192 yards and three touchdowns. And those 15 catches are the most ever by a Bengals receiver in a single game. It's a franchise record. He went off. He had most of the, he had Joe Burrow had three touchdowns. All three of them went to Jamar Chase. He also had the majority of his passing yards. Uh, Jamar Chase, what an incredible performance that I didn't talk about yet and uh, really, really deserves a shout out. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I, uh, I feel weird. I, my mouth is really dry. It's been weird the entire episode. I feel like I'm I, like every episode. There's something going wrong with me that I'm like ah, I don't feel great. But that's probably just because I don't sleep enough and I'm always active and doing some crazy stuff. So I love you guys. I appreciate you. Tomorrow we're talking about fantasy football. It's going to be a lot of fun. So I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. But um bum bam, we are done. Oh, you know what it is? I'm hungry. That's why I'm feeling, my stomach is growling like crazy. I just want food. That's why I feel weird. It all makes sense now.